This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. It's me, Natalie Barbu, and I am so excited to share this episode. I interviewed Kaya, who is the CEO and one of the co-founders of Slidebean. And if you guys don't know what Slidebean is, I found them on YouTube, but they are actually a company that creates powerful presentations. They are a pitch deck design platform for startups and small businesses, and they have online presentation tools that can create professional slides for your business. So it's really specifically targeting startups and small businesses, like it says, where if you need to create a pitch deck, if you need to create kind of like an onboarding deck, they're the ones that create this beautiful template for you and the beautiful decks for you to present. And that is their company model. And he actually found out this model through a pain point that he had from a previous company, which we talk all about in this episode. But this one is the episode I've been most excited about for honestly, a very long time because it's something that I'm very, very, very interested in. As you guys know, I do own a small business, but I am looking to get into the startup space. And in the startup space, I am just, I'm so fascinated about how to get funding, how to raise money, how to build a startup. Do you need to raise money? Like what are the benefits of bootstrapping? Are incubators really helpful? You know, all of these things we talk about in this episode and it's something that I wanted to get very specific on. I wanted to know details of Kaya and how he started Slidebean and how he even started a separate company that ended up failing and then starting Slidebean. Like I wanted to hear all about that. I wanted to hear about raising money, how you go through your first round of investing and how do you even like pitch yourself to investors. Like all of this stuff to me is so fascinating and whether you are starting a business or you're not, I think you're going to enjoy this episode because there's just also a lot of life lessons along the way. I feel like starting a business, even if you're not an entrepreneur, the life lessons you learn from starting and even failing a business, especially failing a business, is one of the most like powerful lessons you will ever learn. And I think it can go with you um, in all aspects of life. Like You don't have to be an entrepreneur to learn something from this episode, but I do think that it um, definitely will help you if you are looking to start a business because Kaya is so knowledgeable and I just sat here for an hour and picked his brain and he's awesome. So very, very, very excited for this episode. If you guys want more business related content like this, definitely let me know. Also be sure to follow us on Instagram because we are getting a revamp on Instagram and I have someone that is doing the Instagram account for the Real Real Podcast and like solely dedicated to that. So we're doing a lot more Instagram takeovers. We're doing a lot more interacting with the audience. We're posting stories where we're giving resourceful tips. Like it's just going to be a place where we provide a lot more value than we once did. Um, so I'm very excited about that, but I also wanted to thank you guys for reviewing my podcast. I am so happy whenever I see a positive review on my podcast and you guys seem to be loving it. So thank you so much. So today's reviewer of the week comes from Miss Emma and she says, love the podcast. They help me relax so, so much. Can't wait for more. Thank you so much. I'd love to know when you listen to this. Like, do you listen to this on your downtime? Do you listen to it in the car, in the shower? I normally listen to podcasts when I'm working out, when I'm showering, and if I do commute anywhere, which to be honest, um, I don't really leave my house. So my commute might be like once or twice a week to like, (laughs) I don't even know where I go. Like maybe to grab dinner or something, which doesn't even happen that often. But you know, 
if I'm in the car for whatever reason by myself, then uh, I'll pop on a podcast. So lately my podcasts have just been like at my house. So I'd love to know when you guys listen to podcasts. Anyways, this intro is getting way too long and it's on too long of a tangent, but I'm very excited for you to hear Kaya's story and I'll learn all about like the startup world. And I'd love to have more startup entrepreneurs on the podcast. So if there's anyone in particular that I should invite on, then definitely DM us on the Instagram. Anyways, let's get into this episode. Um, take some notes. This is like a, gonna be like a startup 101 class right now. Um, so yeah, hope you guys enjoy. You know what the best feeling is when you walk out the door feeling like you can conquer the world because your hair looks amazing. You know, those days when your hair shines with confidence. Well, I have something that are going to make those good hair days into a daily reality, which is Way's new hair gloss. I personally have been loving taking care of my hair. I just got a new haircut and at first I was iffy on it, but then the more I've looked at it and the more I've styled it, I actually really love it and I don't think I can go back to super long hair. It's all about how you style it. So I have been meticulous about my hair routine. I've been incorporating Waze hair gloss and it has literally made me love my haircut and love all of the different ways that I can make it look. It's so easy. Just five minutes in the shower and bam, instant shower. And let me tell you, preventing heat damage is a top priority for me. And with hair gloss protecting my hair up to 450 degrees, I can style worry-free. And the best part, my hair feels shinier, healthier, and more vibrant than before. If you guys have seen my blowouts on my Instagram or my TikTok, you know that I have been feeling my hair and it has been so shiny. Getting your shine on in the shower with Waze hair gloss is so easy and it's packed with hyaluronic acid and rice water. And so it, so it not only gives you immediate shine, but also treats damage and enhances color vibrancy and here's the best part in a consumer perception study over 85 percent of participants agreed that their hair looks shinier healthier and smoother with way's hair gloss give your hair a glow up with way go to t-h-e-o-u-a-i and use promo code real real for 15 percent off any product that's t-h-e-o-u-a-i.com promo code real real Hi, Kaya. Thank you so much for joining me on my podcast. Thanks a lot for having me. <laughs> I'm really excited to have you on and hear more about you and just hear more about just the entrepreneurship world and the startup world. So before we begin, I always start with setting the record straight. So this is some stereotypes and assumptions, and then you'll let me know if they're true or false. All right, let's do that. So the first one is everyone can be an entrepreneur. No, I'd say no. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't I don't think it's for everyone. Yeah, for sure. There, there's a yeah, there's a bit of an instability. Uh, you know, you need to be really organized about a lot of things. Uh, and and I see a lot of entrepreneurs that sort of land into this by, by accident, and they they're able to come through. But I see also a bunch of entrepreneurs that are really like, I want to start a company. I want to start a company, and they they're usually the ones that aren't that ready for it. Yeah, that's actually funny how that works. I feel like it's. A lot of people want to be one because of the freedom that it gives or the flexibility or how like people think it might be easier, which I don't agree with. But I feel like that's the reason why a lot of people get into it. And then they realize it's not as easy as it looks or it's not as like you don't have more free time. If anything, you have less free time now. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> and the next one is you need funding to scale a business. Um, that's also false. Um, you know, it, it does make things easier, but... Uh, I think the biggest misconception I come across is that 
not all businesses can raise venture capital. And actually most businesses aren't compatible with with uh, venture capital. And that, and we see that a lot where entrepreneurs are seeing fundraising as the only way to, to, to build a company and you know, their businesses might not even be quality, you know, might not even qualify for venture capital. Mm-hmm. What do you think a business, like what makes a business not qualify for venture capital, you think? At least in the, in the, like, I, I, I'm calling venture capital the Silicon Valley tech investor type of venture capital. There's other kinds of venture capital, just want to clarify. But, you know, that business needs to be a, a business that's based on tech that, you know, that can scale really fast, uh, that doesn't need a, human beings to scale for the, for the most part. Uh, you know, even Uber, for example, being a classic example, you know, Uber as a business doesn't need human beings on payroll to scale. They're they're they're, mm-hmm. they're connecting the drivers with the riders. Um, so you know, some of those variables are pretty necessary. You know, most venture investors are not willing to put money into a business that that uh, is expected to be less than a hundred million dollars because it just doesn't make sense for them with the risk and reward balance. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I feel like now people think the only way to have a business is to raise funding. And that's actually not the case. Honestly, it's kind of like if you don't need to raise funding, it's better to own most of the company yourself, I feel like, rather than giving it up right away. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And then the next one is you should have a co-founder when starting a company. Uh, I'm going to say yes, um, mostly because it's more than a full-time job starting a company, right? Um, mm-hmm. And if you want, especially on a on a tech startup, you need a great tech product, and you need great management, and you need potentially to raise money and, and to run the business, right? And that can't all fall in the same person. And you, you can recruit a team, yes, uh, and you can delegate that stuff, yes. But uh, those things at the very beginning, those those roles that the founders fulfill, are at the very core of the business. And you know, for example, I've I've seen I see recently some CTOs, some tech people that are trying to start businesses of their own. But then they're not realizing that if they want to fulfill the CEO role, they need to disconnect themselves from product. So who's going to build the product in that case? So yes, I do think that two or three co-founders are an ideal number. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting because I always, I never knew like if co-founders can sometimes get messy because then it's like you're bringing more people on. But like you said, it is a full-time thing. So I feel like it's honestly more necessary than not. Yep. So I always ask people this question, but I always love to know what did you want to be when you were younger and how has that shifted to kind of what you're doing now? That's a great question. Um, so I wanted to be an Austrian when I was younger, um, which is which didn't, didn't actually happen for me. Um, no, I didn't expect that I'd be an entrepreneur if, if that's where, where we want to uh, take the question. Um, and, and I'm a big fan of this my own story, but uh, this story of the entrepreneur that doesn't want to become an entrepreneur, because I believe that great companies are built because somebody worked in a certain industry, uh, has a certain expertise, uh, and identified this business opportunity and decided to pursue it, decided that they can do something better than what what everybody else is doing. Um, So I think that that's the great difference on like not wanting to be an entrepreneur from the very beginning. But actually, like coming across this, or like just taking that this opportunity that you came across, and and also coming from a position of expertise, right? Like I wouldn't start a company in the, I don't know, I wouldn't start an Uber because I have no experience in that in that industry. So uh, yes, uh, initial Austinet, and then uh, tech in general was my next thing. And I go, I went to college studying 
visual animation. So I wanted to be a filmmaker at some point, but uh, oh, that's funny. neither and of that's... them <laughs> So how did your entrepreneurial journey begin? Like, where did you first realize that you did want to start your own business and start your own company? Um, so my first company, I, I came, uh, I started back in 2011. Um, and the it was a mobile gaming company. This was kind of the very, very beginning of, well, not the very beginning, but initial traction of iOS gaming, right? We were just starting to accept enough purchases as a thing. Um, so there was room, I think, in the in the iOS and the mobile gaming space for, for a product like, like ours. We did a Kickstarter campaign uh, as the first validation, and it got funded, and that's, you know, that's how the entrepreneurship journey started. And as part of that company, one of the problems I found was uh, I was spending all this time pitching investors. I wanted my presentations to look slick because our, our game, our product was was very design heavy. So we had our presentations as the first, like the first glimpse that people had at our product. So they had to be great. And I just, I was just wasting so much time on these. So that actually sparked the original concept for Slide Bean when, whenever we, whenever that company went out of business and I had to start another one. That's really cool. So was that kind of like a light bulb moment that you had or it was just over time you started thinking about Slide Bean? No, sort of over time. Like, uh, and again, it, it's, it's the story of like, I was annoyed at how much time I was spending on PowerPoint. Uh, I was looking at uh, these other uh, companies, these other CEOs uh, who who were also struggling to bit to build their decks, and I'm like, well, maybe there's a maybe there's a business opportunity here. Um, yeah, so that's original inception of, of what Slipping is today. Yeah, and you said that the first company you didn't like, you didn't continue the first company, and you said the first one didn't succeed. What are some things that you realized that that one didn't like? Why did that one not work? Or what are some mistakes that you made with that first company? Um, I think that one of the mistakes was focusing too much on trying to raise money. Um, this was partly, you know, the, the one of uh, some of our advisors and accelerators fault. Like I, I understand, like accelerators push companies to raise money because that's that increases their chances of success, right? You know, they have an, a unique opportunity. They have the validation of the accelerator to try and raise money. So you know, why don't they go ahead and, and try and do that? Um, the problem is raising money inevitably does disconnects you from your product inevitably it disconnects you from your customers because you have to spend time building presentations and meeting investors um so i think that that's one of the main reasons we we wasted a lot of time trying to talk to investors trying to raise money and the product and the company wasn't ready to raise money really um you know we would if we had spent that time building a product uh we would have found out sooner what was wrong with it and probably would have had more time to kind of course correct um uh, but also if the product had worked uh, or if the product had been better, we would have been at a much better position to raise money. So that's, that's one of the mistakes that I, that we made that first time and, and that I made sure that didn't happen again. Yeah. So with Slidebean, I feel like one of the things about starting a company and one of the hardest parts about starting a company is getting your first clients, especially when it's something like that, when you need people to actually purchase your subscription or become members or whatever your company is, just getting it into the hands of customers and clients is one of the hardest things. So how did you do that with Slidebean? Like, how did you market it? Um, so we, we initially marketed Slidebean as a, as a very broad thing because we didn't understand who the customer was. Uh, look, I, I talk about Pitch 6 now and I talk about the problem that the, that the founders had building their decks, but I, this wasn't clear to me at the very beginning. The, the initial premise was uh, like people struggle making presentations in general, right? Like, can mm -hmm. we solve that? Can we kind of 
can we build an alternative? And how did we market that? Like we just marketed it to everybody. Everybody was looking for presentation for PowerPoint alternatives, for presentation tools online, for any of that. Like we would market Slide being there. We would try to put ads and try to promote our brand to them. So that created uh, a problem, which was, uh, you know, we don't have an audience. We don't have, we can't build a perfect product for, for everyone we can build a perfect product for a specific audience, right? And, and that's one, one mistake I think a lot of companies make is that they just try to go so broad that uh, they just can't get to that product market fit, which is this mantra in, in the startup world. Uh, like it took us years to, to kind of find our product market fit. And, and we, it, we sort of stumbled upon it because we were just advertising to everybody and, and doing this broad advertising. And then we were noticing that only, I mean, we looked at the customers that actually converted and started really stalking them, right? We didn't have a lot of information from them, but we had their email. So we would go online and kind of find information about this person. And we figured that many of them were entrepreneurs and were early stage companies or seed stage companies. So that's when we figured like, oh, these are the guys that are converting very well. How do we get more of them? Like they seem to be our audience. So that eventually created this sort of cycle where, um, you know, these guys were the ones requ requesting features. We would build features for them. We would market to them. So, you know, the product ended up customizing itself to, to that audience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really cool. And was that something that you wanted to do intentionally? Like you always wanted customer feedback and you always wanted to listen to the client. Like how did you, I guess, make this company so customer focused? Like did you do surveys that you sent out or did you just have a good support team or how did you really hear what they wanted and like the features that they wanted? That's a good question. Um, a lot of this was the stalking that I mentioned and we do that. We yeah. used to do that a lot more where... Again, we looked deep not only into who they are, but also into what their activity is and what they're doing. We can't, we legally can't see uh, many of their presentations, only the ones that are public. But uh, even the ones that we can see, like they, we noticed that a lot of them were pitch decks, right? So that that sort of reinforced that. Uh, with the customer part, that's interesting because uh, at the very beginning, we we strived to, to make a strong customer support team. Uh, why? Because Slidebean is provides like a different approach to presentations that people aren't necessarily familiar with at the very beginning. So they have a lot of questions, and we discovered that if we were there to answer them promptly, uh, that you know we could drastically increase satisfaction, conversion. Because you know if you come across a roadblock, something you can't, you don't know how to do. I mean, hopefully you ask, but if you don't ask, you leave, and if you ask and nobody answers, you leave, right? So we we figured that that could help us kind of convert a lot more people. So we did that. Um, and eventually discovered that a lot of these companies, uh, were really connecting to us as, as a brand, thanks to that, thanks to being able to have a human being on the other side, right? Uh, that at the same time connected with me becoming a little bit of a public persona or like a, like an evangelist for the company, um, you know, then them wanting to talk to me, uh, because they had, they saw that I had some experience raising capital. Um, so that sort of help us evolve also into a position where yes we have people on the team we have experts on the team that can and i don't know if advice is the right word but it can point these companies in the right direction function as a sounding board for their ideas uh you know early stage founders some are sometimes confused they don't understand how the how the market works and having that a friendly voice that helps them helps and and that's a little bit of what slidebean has become yeah, that's really cool. So initially when you started Slidebeam, I'm imagining it looks very different than what it is now, right? Okay. Like it's, is it a lot different? Like how many iterations had you, did you go through or 
are you constantly changing it up or do you go through these big like oh we're gonna rebrand now or we're gonna re-strategize like how does how does like the change happen with slide beam that's a, also a great question um so we are now on i mean version 7.6 of slide beam uh we've done i think uh, three major rebrands and relaunches of the product. And after the third, what we figured was that uh, these rebrands, these relaunches don't, I mean, are so complex, so complicated, because what you do is you accumulate a bunch of features, a bunch of different things that you want to launch, you sort of app them up, put them all together, and launch them at the same time. And if the interface is too different, that too different, that creates confusion. People get upset because they sometimes they just can't find something that, that they used to know where it was. Uh, features get removed or get translated or get, and and that again creates a lot of confusion. Um, and at least for us, in our experience, the rebrand, the the brand impact or the marketing impact of that rebrand is not as strong uh, as you want it, as you would expect. Uh, you know, in exchange for delaying a lot of updates and sort of piling it up into the same into the same bowl so we've moved into a more uh you know, live update thing where we launch a, we we launch new features or new pushes of the app almost uh, weekly now and we rarely do any sort of like big broad launches uh, because again it's it's just a small spike or sometimes a larger spike but then you go back to normal so we'd rather focus on improving that normal the rest of the time Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I feel like as founders, you might think like, oh, this rebrand is going to be amazing and it's going to bring so many people in. But I didn't even think about the fact that it can confuse a lot of people or that it doesn't hit as hard as I guess you would think it does when you're like relaunching this entire site. Okay. So I think that's really interesting. Um, and then also, so with going back to kind of your first company that didn't do like that didn't succeed, do you did you that discourage you from even starting the second one? Because I feel like a lot of people feel like, oh, if this one doesn't work, then maybe I'm just not cut out to be an entrepreneur, which I definitely think is not true. Because I think if you look back at any entrepreneur, they've started so many different things and just one of them has hit. But did that discourage you at first? It's really hard to close a company. Um, it's really hard to let people go. Uh, it, it's sort of like a reality or a possibility that you have to deal with if you're an entrepreneur. Um, I've, and I think that there, there are two sides to the whole, to, to the role of the CEO, right? Because there's, there's a face to the CEO that's the face that's always selling, always hustling, right? You need to pitch investors and pitch customers and, and be the face of the company and be the evangelist for the company and market, in my case, market the business as well. So it always has to inevitably project this image of, of success, right? And so when a company fails, when a company closes down, you, it, it sort of contradicts everything that you do and this persona that you presented in front of people. So it's that was a big struggle for me the first time uh, because you know we had built a follower base, uh, customer base, and then saying, well, this product didn't work out, we're gonna close it down. How do you tell people this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same, you know, on the other hand, th- that's just the reality. So, you know, the, first the industry, other CEOs, other entrepreneurs, anybody in the startup world knows that companies fail, and that's fine. And it's actually a, g- a great lesson to learn to have a, to take a company through a closure. Um, so that's, you know, it, it, is it hard to handle? Yes, uh, it's a possibility that you need to prepare for. Yes, but. Um, I guess the best way to sort of approach it and the best way I try to approach it, knowing that it is a possibility or understanding that now, is just being very transparent with everybody then, especially the people that depend on you. Now we have uh, mm-hmm. 26, 27 people in the company uh, and 
at the very early stages, I was asking people to kind of quit their jobs, to come work for us, to come work on Slidebean. So you had to be really, really transparent, I felt, with saying, well, we have 12 months of runway. Uh, this is the salary that we're signing for you. Uh, you know, we expect that this and these things are going to happen in the next 12 months. Uh, and that's where we expect the company to go. Everybody in Slidebean knows how much revenue we're making. Everybody in Slidebean knows if we, if we closed our monthly expectations or not, because that's kind of like my way of giving back to them and telling them, hey, you're trusting me to make key decisions. Like I'm, I make some of them, these guys have mortgages or kids, right? So I'm, I'm, my decisions on where to hire people and when to hire people affect their lives. So the, the least I can do to them is you know, just being transparent about where, where the company's going. Yeah, I think that's really awesome that you do that. And that's something that I feel like your employers must appreciate. But even just as a company, being transparent is so important. Because like you said, you want to know where you're at. You know, you want to know if it's doing well, if you've meted your goals. And I think that's really important. Just any company that is listening or any founder that's listening to us to this to implement into their own company. And you were also saying that you are the face of the company or the CEO, you're the like the person that people think of when they think of Slidebean, do you do that on purpose in the sense where like you're on your YouTube channel and you're on your Instagram? Because that's how I found you guys. I actually found <laughs> you through YouTube, which I think is really cool. And I like, in, like I really loved that. Like I loved the transparency. I liked how you educate people. Like I know that's a marketing tactic, but like how did you come up with that? And was that intentional like from the beginning? Good, great question. Great questions today. Uh, Thank you. Awesome <laughs> Um, so no, this was not intentional. Um, you know, inevitably, again, as the CEO, you ha you're the one that's usually hustling. You have to present yourself as that, but not necessarily for the customers and not necessarily as part of the marketing strategy. In our case, I think it accidentally, again, we didn't really plan for this, but accidentally matched very well because a lot of our marketing is sharing our own experience. A lot of our marketing is sharing our own stories. Um, and nobody else in the business like knows these stories with the, with the vision, I mean, with the visibility that I have inside of the company to sort of know like how much budget we spent on one thing or the other. Um, so some, you know, we, we have two kinds of articles that we publish in our blog, uh, which are the ones that that our writers write, which are articles on you know general design and, and pitch decks, but in, in the generic context, and the articles that I write that usually are related to, to insights that I have as the CEO of the company, right? So it inevitably connects to me sort of narrating that. That's the first. Um, you know, with YouTube, which was a honestly another strike of luck for us. Uh, you know, I, I have a background in filmmaking, and we figured like, why don't we make videos? Like, we were we were dominating a lot of the searches that we wanted to target on Google, uh, but mm -hmm. we were sort of running out of keywords to target. So we figured like, what's the next largest search engine? And that was YouTube. So why don't we produce content for YouTube? Um, so that's how that got started. You know, the first videos I would. I would uh, edit myself, like the post-production and the animation. I, I actually did that myself as part of that experiment because I didn't want to hire a digital animator as, as this test because, once again, I don't want to have to fire somebody if that experiment doesn't work, right? So we try mm -hmm. to do stuff with, with the resources we have. And we did. Um, yes, now YouTube has become sort of like the main channel where, where people discover us. And yes, I'm, I'm the face of that YouTube. A lot of people think I'm a YouTuber before realizing that I'm just the CEO of this much larger company. Um, so it's, it's a double-edged sword. One, I think it's great because it, it, it puts a face to the brand. Uh, that face is the CEO and it's, it's 
right now it's a little bit aspirational even for the company especially for the companies that come be behind us in terms of traction or in terms of fundraising so it's a little bit aspirational like I, this, you know this is a guy that that was born in costa rica established a company in the us and so on so that's great and i'm, I'm actually very humbled by by becoming that that figure but at the same time it's a double-edged sword that i try to run away from or that we try to find alternatives to because that means that i am inevitably tied to to the brand and the marketing of the company right and i don't want that um I don't want that because eventually, if we sell the company, I I might go start another one. So the company needs to be able to survive or to thrive without my my face on it. So that's the that's the bad part of it. Mm -hmm. No, I didn't even think about that part. That if you do sell the company, then you're kind of tied to it. But I do think I I mean I really like the relatability of it as well because it feels more like like I feel like if someone that hasn't started a business is telling me how to start a business, I don't trust them as much. But because you are in that exact situation and you're currently in it, it's not like a thing of the past, you have more of that like relatability and you have that trust from people watching. So I feel like it's um, really cool that you do that. And I feel like more companies should educate more on it, what their product is as well, you know? Because like if you're reaching out to more entrepreneurs and people who are wanting pitch decks, actually educating people on the importance of pitch decks or anything that branches off of that in like the startup space, I think is really important and really cool. So I love that you guys did the YouTube and that you're like the face of it, but I understand how like if you do sell it now, it can get complicated in that way. So I didn't even think about that, but that's kind of like I have an agency and it's attached to my name. It's called Barbu Agency and I'm changing right. the name right now because I'm like, I don't want it to be my name anymore. Like I, <laughs> I want it to be totally separate. So I'm like in that same boat where I'm like, I don't want people to see that and only think of me. Like I want it to kind of survive on its own. So exactly. I totally exactly. get that. Yeah. And also funding can be really confusing. And I know you talk about that a lot on your blog and on your YouTube channel as well, but can you kind of break down the different types of funding and what you guys did for Slidebean? Cause I know there's venture capital, then there's like angel investors. You guys were a part of an accelerator as well, I believe. Right. So how can you differentiate the, t the three or all of the different types of funding and which one you need or if you even need funding? Right. Um, so the big difference with, with I, I like to kind of draw this line between two types of businesses. And, and this is a wrong terminology, but it's, it's as close as I can get. So on one side, we have what I call the small business. Uh, I, we started our small business as well, but again, the terminology is, is a little bit uh, blurred. So a small business uh, could be a consulting agency, uh, could be a development agency, um, and that's a business that's less likely to be able to raise venture capital. Why? Because it, it needs uh, its revenue is a direct proportion to human beings. Uh, it's a direct proportion to the staff. So the, the more revenue you want to make or the more clients you have, the more people you need to hire. So there's a direct proportion with that. Uh, you know, other small business types are, for example, a you know, a, a grocery store, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Margins are very small. Uh, you need more locations to expand revenue. So those, th that's one type of business. Can it raise money? Yes, but not from, from tech, venture, Silicon Valley type of investors uh, because it's a more traditional business. Usually those companies, if they want to raise money, say you want to start a, a development agency, you normally you have either two founders that are willing to put in a small amount of money each, uh, or maybe they have, 
two founders and an executive type of co-founder that that is a that puts in some money that trusts the other two co-founders but that owns a significant part of the company maybe they're they're splitting this the company three ways or you maybe 50 percent to the executive investor and the rest of the company to the to the actual operational founders um why because what's the outcome of this business yes it can be sold but uh how much uh, for, for how much can this business be sold? Well, usually one or two times its revenue uh, because it's a traditional business. Now, you know, drawing a line and moving into the startup world uh, or to the tech startup world, again, the grocery store is also a startup, but we just can't find, I just can't yeah. find another term. Um, so the tech startup is very different because the tech startup can scale so fast. Uh, it's a company that, you know, is worthless today because it has just two... Uh, smart guys or girls that are coding a, a product, but it's solving a core need that a lot of people have or that a lot of companies have, uh, and it's solving that with technology. And, and with that, what it what it allows these co this company to do is to scale to millions of users or to millions of dollars in revenue or to millions of customers or serving a, a bunch of people with only a small amount of, of staff. Um, mm -hmm. One of my favorite examples of this is is Instagram. When Instagram was bought by Facebook, it had around 300 million users and a staff of 13 people. Uh, so that's that's the great balance, right? It's a tiny team that can build a product and since it's technology, it just scales. You just need more servers, but it, it just scales, not infinitely, but really fast. Yeah. So that's the difference. And the valuation of a tech product um, at which this company can be sold is multiples of its of its revenue. You know, SaaS companies usually get acquired for seven, 10 times revenue. Um, or you know, social media platforms. The Instagram valuation, when bought by Facebook, was a billion dollars, which was about three dollars per per user for every active user. Facebook paid three dollars because why? Because it's worth so much more to Facebook uh, than than this transaction is worth it. So investors know and understand this and know that. So a, a tech startup at the very beginning can raise funding and they can take. Uh, this is a very normal standardized you know they can take up five hundred thousand dollars or a million dollars in in funding as a seed round in exchange for 10 15 20 percent of the company why why because this company can just scale so much more and that investors are willing to value that um mm -hmm. so that that's the big difference uh you know the type of investor that you go to depends on your stage at the very very beginning nobody knows you you're assuming that you don't have a background uh, you haven't sold any companies in the last few years uh, you're probably going to go with what we call friends and family, which is people that know you, people that trust you, that are willing to invest smaller tickets, maybe fifty, hundred thousand dollars, which is a lot of money, but not that much money um, mm -hmm. to get the company started, to you know, to build the product. Uh, angel investors are usually doing tickets in the hundred to two hundred, maybe even four hundred thousand um, dollars. So you know, the earlier the round, the you, you're going to need multiple investors of that type, and eventually. As rounds get bigger, as the company advances and progresses, that's when venture capitalists come. Yeah. And for Slidebean, for example, at what point did you realize, did you realize in the very beginning that this was something that you were going to need to raise money for? Yeah, that was a, that was a big mistake as well that we did, right? Because we, we had the capacity, myself and my co-founders, we could have built this product on our own and launched it and, and get revenue without raising money. We, we, we could have done that and we should have done that. Uh, and instead we wasted a lot of time saying like, we have this tech product, it has a great audience. It has, it's, it's, it's the traditional tech startup. It's going to replace PowerPoint. Uh, we we're going to raise money and that translated into a lot of time wasted, especially for me, 
you know, getting into these meetings when in reality our product, our company wasn't ready to raise. Um, mm -hmm. In the end, we raised money from uh, from an accelerator, which uh, the reason why I think accelerators are still relevant, we, we had a boom of accelerators in the early 2010s, and now many of them have closed down uh, or changed their, their models drastically, uh, is because they're, they're a bridge. They're, they're sort of like a soft landing. Um, for me and my co-founders who were not based in the US, an accelerator is a soft landing. It's a network, it's connections that you otherwise would need months to build and coming as foreigners into the US, then uh, then we just don't have time and we need to move faster. So accelerators are great for that. They give you some money, um, but it's mostly symbolic or mostly to cover the costs of the program, maybe a few experiments, uh, but you know, not that much money. Uh, but it, it's the connections that they create. We, we then raised around uh, around $800,000 with a combination of angel investors, which is which is the funding that, that we call our seed. Yeah, no, that's that's really cool. And also the accelerator world um, and the incubator world, those two are two different things, right? Accelerators are for startups that have already started and then incubators are for ones that are going to start. Is that right? Um, yeah, so incubators usually are associated with earlier stage companies. Mm -hmm. um, there are many incubators out of uh, universities or colleges, for example, uh, mm -hmm. right? Because they're, you know, these are students, they're, they're getting their ideas started and, and they're funded by the university. Um, so, so companies are allowed to be in an incubator stage for, for months, right? An accelerator mm -hmm. is, is thought of as a, as a quick sprint program uh, that is supposed to get the company from this stage to really fast growth and, and, and to a fundable stage in, in a matter of three or four months. Got it. Yeah. And do you find those still very useful? Like, would you recommend for a tech startup, for example, to look into an incubator or an accelerator, or you think it's something that not everyone necessarily needs kind of like funding, like you don't necessarily need that. And you shouldn't spend that much time looking at that in the very, very beginning. For me, the, the accelerator process was like, I wouldn't be where I am if it wasn't for the programs that we did. Um, because they were a crash course in this entrepreneurial world that I was a foreign to. Uh, mm -hmm. But it depends, right? Maybe you worked at another startup. Uh, maybe you worked at an early stage company. So you understand a lot of these things already and you probably don't need an accelerator. Or maybe you grew up in, in San Francisco in the Bay Area and you already have some connections, you know some investors, you know some people, then an accelerator is less necessary. But if you're from outside of these main startup hubs, uh, if you don't have a lot of experience in the startup world, uh, in the tech startup world, then yes, I think that they're still very valuable. Mm -hmm. And how competitive would you say it is to get into an accelerator? And what someone that's listening, if they have a tech startup that they are thinking of starting, what advice would you give to them to get into one or to get accepted into one? Good question. Um, so we did, you know, the, the largest program or the most competitive program we did was 500 Startups, which is uh, Silicon Valley-based accelerator. It's not as big as Y Combinator, but... Uh, they like to think, and I like to think they're next, right next to Y Combinator. Um, you know, a bunch of applications. Uh, they usually accept 30 companies per batch uh, when, when they get a couple thousand applicants. So it's, a, it's about a 1% acceptance rate. Acceptance rate. Um, what's the, what's the, what do you need to get in an accelerator? Traction. You need to prove that your product is worth something. Especially at programs like Y Combinator, 500 Startups, they'll expect you to have built something on your own. So it, the accelerator is—they don't want to be the first money in. They don't want to fund your experiments. They want to uh, 
get you again from from having a product that people that shows promise and that promise is shown with numbers uh taking a team that shows promise and what, how does the team show promise because they built this product on their own they they were able to bootstrap it or raise some family funding uh to get this product just to a point uh they they're talking to their customers they're understanding what their product is and what their what why people value it and they want to take this team that's like almost ready to to skyrocket and just get it to that point like that's that's the ideal place where accelerators want to want to take companies earlier than that before that that's a problem right because it you know if you don't have a product yet no an accelerator is unlikely to accept you if you don't have a co-founder yet no an accelerator is unlikely to accept you um which kind of sucks a little bit because that's probably when you need the most help but it just mm-hmm. it's a business as well right they're a business so they're you know they just can't bet make uh, so many bets yeah, no, that's a, that's a good way to think about it as they are a business in itself. Like, so how are they going to make money? So viewing it as that way is how are you going to be beneficial to them, I think is a good way to view it. Um, and then for startups and ones that are starting, what are some key pillars that you would say every successful startup should have? Or I guess some common mistakes you might see them make, so... Yeah, not to make those mistakes. I, I think the key pillars, and, and usually in the three co-founder, in, in the ideal co-founder duo or, or trio, um, I think that there needs to be somebody who, who pushes each one of these in the right direction, right? Because you see a lot of companies that are very product focused because maybe they have a product CEO uh, and the, the company is all about building a better, a perfect product uh, features and, and launches. But usually not very connected to marketing right um so that's the that's the other next important pillar marketing uh, i actually think that we slide we we got we were late to the product game uh we had a we had a great concept of a product i think i hope uh but at the very beginning i was the one in charge of marketing and so i had that and i had control over that budget so you know on 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 my idea of not wanting to go out of business and my idea of generating some revenue to sort of stabilize the business, we focused a lot of efforts and a lot of our early budget in marketing, in growth, in getting customers when the product wasn't necessarily ready. Um, mm-hmm. um, so you know, that that's that balance that the CEO has over the, over the business, right? Where very easily it could lean into a, to a more marketing business and or to a more product business. But I think that both of them are equally important. And that's why I think that that relationship between the co-founders that each one of them leading one of these two parts, whether it's marketing or sales, is 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 so important. Yeah, and with co-founders, would you say that you guys need to complement each other? So you guys both need to have, let's say, in a duo, two separate set of skills. You or do you think that it's okay if you kind of both are equally good at the same things? Like, how would you find a co-founder? Like, what's your advice on finding the perfect co-founder? Um, that's that's a really tough question i don't know like I, i've been lucky with my co-founders and I, i'm hearing a lot of stories like that but uh you know usually friends from college people that you know people that you that you've worked with mm-hmm. uh, i was asked by by one of our customers the other day not not a customer um, somebody that reached out to me like they were thinking of quitting college or not going to college at all because they didn't feel that that college would, would help they wanted to be an entrepreneur and they wanted to start a business and i'm like where are you going to meet your co-founder if it's not in college that is yeah. the best place to meet people and network with with people and get you know get get your name out there right um so 
I, I think that there, there definitely needs to be an overlap of skills. Like, for example, I have some technical background, so I understand how our product works. I like to think that I can steer or control or lead, not lead, but uh, kind of like oversee the product development because I understand how long it takes for a feature. I understand if that feature is impossible to make or possible and it's just going to take a couple of days to do it, right? So that inevitably helps make better decisions. So that, that technical overlap is important. Uh, but at the same time, I had to, I, I'm not from a marketing background. I had to learn how to market a product, mm -hmm. how to market a business. I'm uh, acting CMO in Slidebean and, um, you know, and that's a self-taught sort of skill. Um, so w one thing that becomes important is at, at some point you have to sort of separate these two because otherwise you're just being very inefficient, right? If you need to, right, we are three co-founders. If you need to run everything by all three co-founders, it just gets sloppy. Right, uh, if all right. product decisions need to go by all the three of us, it just gets slower. So, you know, at some point I figured, guys, you guys should take, should own the product. I'm not going to get involved in that pretty much at all. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I need to focus on the marketing. So I'm just going to take all that time and focus on marketing. So we try to separate those just for efficiency. And as the team gets bigger, of course, that, that gets easier. Uh, on, on finding the co-founder uh, itself, like we found our CTO, which is usually the hardest hire to make uh, on LinkedIn, actually, uh, you know, search our local area, met. And, and I think that one, one part that people underestimate about the finding most companies are started by, a, by an executive sort of hustler type of CEO, right? They have an idea for a business, they want to start a company, and now they need, they just, they just need somebody that can code this product. But it's not as easy as that. It's finding a developer who is willing to quit their job, they're probably a very well paid job, to come join you in building this product. So they have to absolutely believe in it, believe in the product as well. And that's, I think, mm -hmm. the part that people don't always take into account. Yeah, no, that's so true. That's something that like you guys equally have to be passionate about it or else it's not going to work. Like you have to both be the same percent as like in it, I feel like, for to find a successful co-founder. Um, and then for going back to kind of what Slidebean is, what would you say makes a successful pitch deck? Because I'm sure that you have seen so many. So what do you think is like the formula for a very successful pitch deck? <laughs> I... So the, the first answer, and, and, and I must give this answer, is, is, a, is a very exciting company, right? It, mm -hmm. the, the content of the pitch deck is what's, what's most important. And what's that content that, that makes a killer deck? An exciting business opportunity, traction, uh, showing that, you've, that, you, that you have some customers, that you've hustled your way uh, before showing this to investors. And that's something that we, Slidebean, have little to no control of, right? Uh, what we are is, in, in essence, is storytellers. We, we've learned to sort of take these parts of the company and sort of arrange them in the right order so that they are cohesive, so that they're easy to understand, so that the product is, you can get it in a, in a, in a, in a glimpse, in a slide, and you know, just to highlight the stuff that's exciting about the business. But, you know, I, you know if the business is, doesn't have a lot of traction, there's nothing we can do to, to get it funded, right? Uh, you know, beyond that, I think that a great pitch deck is, is around, again, related to a great story. It's, it's a pitch deck that balances uh, the product, which should be in you know, two or three slides, that balances the go-to-market plans, which, again, should be two or three slides, that balances the team, which, which is a very important slide, that pays enough importance to all of these factors because all of them are key parts of the, of the decision to, to invest for, for a potential investor. 
Um, mm-hmm. Remember that a pitch deck is sort of like the first glimpse an investor gets at the company. So uh, if it's sloppy, if it's not well designed, uh, it it inevitably hurts the business. Yeah, no, I mean, I remember the first video I found of you guys was the Airbnb one. Like you guys ter- or like making the new Airbnb um pitch deck like using what they had so i always thought that that's really interesting how it's not you would think like a huge company like airbnb would have a 50 page pitch deck you know but they're really short and simple and to the point which i think is really interesting and really cool uh and i didn't really know that before looking into like your videos um and then also i wanted to ask for the last question is what are some advice that you would give to someone who has an idea and wants to start a startup, like what is the first step to take when they have an idea? Um, to me, it's telling people um, mm-hmm. and validating that idea, which is the official term, but just telling people uh, and not your family, but telling strangers about it, um, you know, getting out of the building and putting people you know, and just trying to sell, position this product to somebody, see, seeing how they react. Because family members and friends, they're going to be nice and they're going to try to say something nice always. But no, you want the brutal feedback. You want uh, you want the feedback from the real world. Uh, and you know that can be done digitally as well. You could publish your product concept on Reddit and see what people think. You can pu- you can build a quick landing page on Squarespace or or Webflow and just launch it and push people through it. Push people to that page and see how they react. See if they sign up. You can make a YouTube video explaining what it is and see how people react. Get stranger, get your product in front of strangers. People are sometimes fearful of doing this because they, oh, somebody might steal my idea. Um, I can assure you that very, very few people in the world are willing to, you know, quit their day jobs, stop what they're doing, uh, to go and and produce somebody else's idea. People don't do that. And if you're and eventually when you launch the product somebody's going to say, well, I'm going to do that. And, and the only reason why you're going to be better than them is because you, it's not because you were first to market. That doesn't matter so much. It's because your product is better or your marketing is better or your company is better. So you're going to mm-hmm. have competitors sooner or later. Uh, it's first mover advantage is so overrated. So don't be afraid to tell people about the company and just validate it. Sometimes you'll find out that your idea is a bad idea and before you spend any dollars uh, validating it. That's such good advice because I feel like, especially me, if I have an idea, I'm like, I don't want to share it because I don't want people to steal it. Like I literally have had that mindset before. So that's really great advice just for me to even hear that it's actually a good thing to share. And yeah, people aren't really going to steal your idea, like you said. So I think that's awesome advice. Thank you so much. I feel like I just picked your brain for an hour. So (laughs) thank you for coming on my podcast. Where can everyone find you and Slidebean? This was super fun. I, I had a lot of fun. Uh, some memories uh, brought back by your questions. Thanks a lot, Natalie. People can find us on YouTube. Just look for Slidebean or on Slidebean.com. I'm Twitter. My Twitter is Kaya here. So uh, hit me up if you have any questions. Did the episode live up to the hype? Because I think it did. I learned so much from this episode. I picked his brain. It was amazing. And I hope that you guys enjoyed it as well. Uh, Be sure to join the private Facebook group and also follow us on Instagram. Like I said, we are doing a revamp. Give us five stars if you guys did enjoy this episode or if you learned anything or if you want any other people in the business world, please let me know. Uh, But anyways, I'll see you guys next Monday on another episode of The Real Real Podcast. Bye.